Well, good morning, family. This is a this is allotment day. And what in the world? We've been studying through the book of Joshua, and um, Joshua is the for those of you who might be joining us today and haven't been with us as we've been going through this. Joshua is a book of war, and it's um, but it is mostly a book of receiving what God has promised you. And so what we've been looking at is we've been looking at how God has spoken to them and said, listen, I have a land for you. It's yours. I've already given it to you. Now go take it. And we are seeing this correlation in our own lives. Of course, it was written for that purpose so that we can learn how to take what God has already given us. Because there is, uh, there, there is this relationship we have with God that God provides and then he just says, go ahead and take it. Even the gift of salvation has already been provided and done, finished by Jesus, completely finished by him. Salvation has already been given. It's a gift. He didn't die for just some. He died for the entire world. And yet... Each individual has to receive that gift by choice. He doesn't force it on us. Here's the gift you receive. It's not, a, it's not works. It's simply receiving what God has already given us. The same thing is true about other things in life. As we live out our life, there are things that God has said, I give you and now take them. And uh, what we're learning is how to do that as well. For them, in fact, the, the process of taking uh, involved warfare. And for us, sometimes, not always, sometimes there are battles for the things that God has already given us. So the uh, assurance of victory is ours if we just follow through and, and, uh, and do what God has asked us. The victory has already been uh, determined by God ahead of time for us. So the book is divided basically into three sections. The first one is preparation for battle, and we've learned a little bit about what it takes to prepare for spiritual battle. We've learned that it's also the, the next section is the battle itself, and there's warfare that had gone on to take land. Now this third section is the allotment of land and kind of the cleanup operation. There are still pockets that have not been taken yet. And so the land is being given and the groups of people that it's given to or the 12 tribes that it is given to have a responsibility of cleaning up wherever there are um, still um, people that shouldn't be in the land. It's, it's, that, that is there. So that's where we're at. And, and this allotment... This section is oftentimes a section that as people read or pastors preach on, they skip. We, we skip this section because a lot of this section is simply telling us the names and where they dwell. Just, you know, and it's divided up by family. So you're hearing about this family took this portion of land and this family took this portion and there's lists and lists. And you can, you'll see that in this text as well. And we will cover those in chunks instead of you know, uh, reading every name and every family. But 
when you pass on that, if you just kind of decide, well, this is all about genealogies and, and uh, land allotment, and it really doesn't, then you also miss on some deep truths that we're going to see today. We, we don't want to miss these things as we're kind of just going through in the, these allotments. So oftentimes we think in terms, we, we understand this, that the Bible is fully inspired by God, fully. Every, every word is inspired by God and it is inerrant in its original manuscripts. It is the word of God. So, but not all scripture is equally inspiring. So it's all inspired, but not equally inspiring. And, uh, but sometimes some of the deepest and greatest truths are found in the portions that we don't think are very inspiring. This is one of them. So get your thinking hats on, kind of, you know, we're, we're gonna have to focus in to get some of these things and pull it out today. Father, we ask for your help as we, um, Lord, unpack your word this morning, Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 15 and verse 1. So this is the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their family. So this chapter is the uh, kind of tells us where the, the tribe of Judah, where their land allotment in Israel is. Could you um, put up the map for me real quick? And uh, here we, what we're seeing here is the allotments. You can see Judah there in the green, uh, kind of the, the, the light green down in the bottom. Um, Simeon is in the middle of that. Judah has a large area. You can see Manasseh, they have a large area. Um, Manasseh and Gad and Reuben are on the uh, east side of the Jordan River, and then the rest of them are on the west side of the Jordan River. And, uh, and each of these got their land allotment by, you'll notice it says, lot. Okay, we, we actually use that term. We'll say, you know, this is our lot, the land. But it's, they got it by casting lots. And the way that they, that was, casting lots was kind of like rolling the dice. And, uh, but God had a way. In fact, they, it, the way it was actually done, no one knows exactly what it was done, but, but it probably would, had something to do with, they used pebbles, and they cast these pebbles in some kind of way, make maybe circles or what have you, and, uh, and they would determine by casting these pebbles what God wanted. Seems kind of a strange way to do it. You know, it was, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's casting straws or take, taking straws and you, you get the shortest straw and you're it or what have you. It's kind of a strange way of doing it. And yet, it has, was done for hundreds of years in Israel, not without prayer. It wasn't just casting, you know, they're not just rolling the dice. They're praying and they're asking God to be in charge of this process of, you know, determination and trying to hear from God of what God wants by casting lots. And... Uh, Joshua, actually chapter 14 and verse 2, it says, their inheritance was by lot 
as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and, and a half tribes. So you have the nine and a half tribes on this side, and it was determined by casting lot. And, but in the, the scripture actually says in Proverbs 18, 18, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. In other words, it was, it was a way of which, and when there's conflict and argument and so forth, they would cast lots and go, okay, I'll take, you know, uh, you know rock, scissors, uh, paper. So, um, and, and somehow somebody would then go, okay, I, I, I agree to it because we agreed ahead of time. So it was, it was used that way. But also it says in Proverbs 16:33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the writer of Proverbs and believed as, you know, because the Holy Spirit is t- directing him to say, this is a way in which God would use for people to determine direction, who, you know, asking God for things, and they would ask and they would use the lot. And, uh, and it would be a way of, of eliminating battles and arguments and uh, and they believed that the Lord was, in fact, in it. And if they were, in fact, trusting the Lord, if they were praying, if they were doing the things that God wanted them to do, then God would direct it. He has a way of directing those things. But, um, but that method came to an end. Does anybody remember when that was the last time it was used in the Bible, casting of lots? It was in, it was in the book of Acts. It was... Um, in the first chapter, as they were casting lots to see who was going to replace Judas, as he was obviously, he is no longer one of the apostles, and they wanted to replace so they could have 12 apostles, and they cast lots to determine from, from several who had qualified for that, that, for that possibility, and they cast lots, and, and it fell on Matthias. And so um, it was used that way, but it ended you never read about that again in the, in the New Testament. That method of, of, uh, of hearing from God, of God determining, is over. And it was over because something better was coming, something much better. And that um, the, was, in fact, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The next chapter, chapter 2, was the day of Pentecost came and the out, when God poured out his spirit. And Jesus had said it this way in, in John 16, 13. He said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. So the, the, the New Testament me- Method is not lots, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Far, far better. The guidance of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And from then on, they would hear, they would pray, and and you would hear comments like the Holy Spirit spoke to us and said, the Holy Spirit taught us, and the Holy Spirit guided us, and, and so forth. So that became the method, and still is, the method by which God speaks to us today and directs us today. So if you don't learn to hear from the Holy Spirit, then you, have, you really are limited in all of your understanding. Now, we have the Bible, God's Word, which is another way, 
but the Holy Spirit confirms those, those, um, th- those directives to us, even though the Bible gives us framework. The Bible gives us a, a wonderful framework for living, but there are certain things that the Bible doesn't tell us individually. We have to live according to the scripture. We have to live within that framework as we live our life. And we're in the will of God by doing that. But then the Holy Spirit gives us insight that we otherwise could not get, not just simply from reading the Bible. One of the great ways the Holy Spirit does this is he illuminates the Bible as you're reading it and speaks to your heart through the illumination of God's word. And you see in the New Testament, oftentimes the writers will find that the Holy Spirit will illuminate a portion of scripture that they have read or known in the Old Testament. And now they, they see that God was speaking to them directly through that illumination of the scripture. We call it, the, Bible, uh, the Greek word for it is rhema. It's the, it's the word spoken. It's the spoken word of God by the Holy Spirit. And he takes the logos, which is the written word of God, and illuminates it to our heart. So you see why it's so important to get the written word in you, because the Holy Spirit then can give you more as he illuminates the written word to your heart and you listen to him. Now, how do you listen to him? Well, it's in the question. Listen. It's in the question. Now, explaining that is difficult. Um, I believe it's more difficult to explain how to hear from the Holy Spirit than actually hear from the Holy Spirit. I think it's easier to actually listen and the Holy Spirit begins to teach you. You are his. If If Christ is in your life, if you have received Christ as your savior, This is what Jesus said. He said, my sheep hear my voice. You will hear his voice. There's a process of learning. There's a process of understanding the language of the Holy Spirit. Just like any child that is born into this world, you know, when you're speaking to your kids and they're Googling and smiling at you, no, they do not understand what you're saying. They're speaking, you're speaking to them and you can, you know, they can't understand you any more than you can understand them. But there's a learning process, isn't there? Pretty soon words start to make sense. They, they get used to them. They repeat them over and over again. They get reaction from it. It's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I, to my children, I was not Rick. I was dad. Right? There's several reasons for that, but because I, am, I was their dad, I am their, da- their dad, but also it's easy for them to say. And I love that they said dad before they said mom. It was, and it worked great. It's easier to say, but they get reaction. So when you get reaction, they learn. That's how it, well, the Holy Spirit works in that way too. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us, and we're learning the voice of the Holy Spirit. The more you listen, the more you start to recognize. Intentional, and I want to add that word, intentional listening. You intentionally listen to the Holy Spirit. You're in prayer. You ask God, Lord, Lord, you know, how, what do I do here? Or, Lord, would you speak to me? I just want to hear your voice, and, you, and you're quiet. Because it's hard to listen when you're talking. I know some of us, we're not good at not talking. 
It's always got to be, you know, we've always got to be speaking. Be a good listener. And if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll start to hear his voice more and more and more. And, and, and then you'll find by reaction, by what you feel God speaking to you and your response to it, that you'll start to understand more and more. That's the way God has intended for it to work. That's the, whole, that's the New Testament method of learning. And, uh, and so we do that. So now let's take a look. Uh, the end of verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 15. It said, The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern, southern boundary. Now he's just given us the boundary, but I wanted to pick up on two words there. Um, the border and the boundary. Because those two words are repeated over and over and over again, more in this section than any other place. He talks about borders, and he talks about boundaries. Now, the thing about borders and and boundaries, there's limitations and freedoms. There's limitations. You you have a a framework in which they could live under. They, They had boundaries, in their borders. So their borders had boundaries and they could only go so far, they couldn't go beyond it. They had to, it wasn't that they couldn't cross over because it was still the, the land, but as far as what they could do, they couldn't go build a farm in somebody else's land. They, they had to do it. They couldn't go build a house in somebody else's property. They had to, they, they were bound within the boundaries to, to operate within that. But that is also a freedom because whatever boundaries were given to them, they could operate there with, with you know, with, and do whatever they wanted within those boundaries that were already given them. It's interesting what, how God describes that in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, it says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. So from one blood, Adam and Eve, every nation, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should not seek the Lord in the hope, so that they, they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him to, though he is not far from each one of us. Now let me unpack that. God determines your boundaries. Everybody's boundaries. You know, where you live is not an accident. I, I, you might be just, where you live right now might be the place that you might don't, you know, you don't want to be. Now why, why do I have to live here? Why, why am I stuck here, you know? There's a lot of questions about why we're where we are where we are. Why were you born where you're born? How did you get here? There's, there seems to be a plan that God has for each of us individually. And he has determined things. There's so much in our life that has been predetermined by God. We haven't done anything to make it happen. And we find ourselves sometimes in these places and we wonder, why am I here? And this scripture is telling us that there's boundaries that have been given to us intentionally. 
purposely. And I don't know where, how that all fits. I thought I chose to live where I am living. But maybe I didn't. Maybe it's all in God's purpose and plan completely. And maybe that I'm there because I have an assignment in the place that I am. That I am working within the boundaries. And I'm not just talking about the location of my house. I'm talking about the location of relationships that God has placed each and every one of us in. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, your friendships. God has placed you in the center of an ethos that is for the purpose of redemption. Notice what it says here. This is a reason for the boundaries, and we'll get into the national boundaries here in a second. But he says that these pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so, so that. Everybody say so that. So that. Now, this, he's telling us why he does it this way. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why? Does God do this? So that more people will come to Christ. So more people will grope for God. See, there is a reason why he determines these boundaries. There's a reason why you, know, you live where you live. There's a reason why you work where you work. And it might not be you know, the rest of your life reason that you're, you, know, you, you might not be there, but while you're there, the main purpose for you being there is so that you are an influence to those people that you're connected with. And it should, you should have understanding of that and it, there should be some intentionality to recognize that God has placed you in a place for a purpose. And if you do, it changes your life and it changes other people's lives. When you realize that you're there because God planted you there, now you know you have an assignment. And so how does that assignment look? Well, I'm telling you how it looks in my neighborhood, where I live. It means I walk the streets of my neighborhood. And I pray over the houses in my neighborhood and the people in my neighborhood and my neighbors and, and I'm seeking God to touch their lives and to bring salvation. And I can tell you that since I've been a follower of Jesus, that has been the, the way in which I have operated in every neighborhood I've lived in. And we've moved a few times. And every time we've Every time we've got, wherever we've gotten, we've always been an influence to the neighbors in our neighborhood. And more than just the ones we talk to. Because I think, I, I want to take as much ground as I can. And, you know, and, and we'll read about, uh, again, this one man, Caleb, who, who said that, you know, the promise was that to, to Moses and to the children of Israel that, and to Abraham, originally, every, every step that you take, that, that land that you take, that's yours. I've given that to you. And walking the neighborhood, 
are walking the workplace. I, I, I worked at machine shop, Parker Hannafin. I used to go and sit in the parking lot and pray for the 900 employees that were in that place. I walked around the building. It was a pretty good-sized facility. I walked around that building on a regular basis and just said, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And I saw many of those people come to Christ as a result. We had a Bible study and, and filled up the uh, lunchroom. And God did all these things, but it happened because, I believe, because God had shown me this was my assignment. And listen, that's not unique. That's actually for every one of us. You have an assignment. Your assignment is your neighborhood. Your assignment is your family and an extended family. And your assignment is your school or it's your workplace. Um, I was uh, a while back reading about, uh, is it Christy Noem, who's the uh, governor of uh, South Dakota? Every morning she goes in like five in the morning before everybody's there, walks through the office, goes in every office and prays for the employees that work in that, in, in that office. You know what she's learned? An assignment. I mean, it, God has given her a bigger assignment in other areas now, but she, she understands. I think God has given her some, some assignment because she le- has learned a principle. And that principle is that we can take this. Now, so for some of you, this is very new. But you know what? It doesn't take long to learn how to do it. You just kind of start off. This is, this, is, and, and this is the way I do it in, in my neighborhood. I'll be walking around and, uh, and, and sometimes, and I'll get an impression or a feeling. Um, this family, you know, it might be something like this. This couple here in this household have have, having major marriage problems. It's a thought. Say, well, how do you know that thought's right? I don't. I think it is. I think it's from God. Do I absolutely know? I don't know. I'm not going to knock on the door and say, you're having marriage problems. I'm not ready to do that yet. It might work. But what I do, and listen, if I pray for their marriage and they don't have marriage problems, do you think it's going to, any problem with that? No, there's no problem with that. I walk on, this, this, these people are close to salvation. Pray that, that they will respond. Somebody's been ministering to them. Lord, touch their heart. I pray against every uh, doubtful, deceiving spirit that would come against them. I pray, God, that you break through into their family, into their lives. What if they're already saved and I'm praying that prayer? Think there's a problem with it? I don't think so. See, if I'm wrong, it's not an issue. But if I'm praying in in alignment with the Holy Spirit, God is going to do something powerful in that household. And we've seen that happen. And, and you, you have an assignment by God, an allotment that has been given to you by God, and God has set the boundaries for those things. And you, if you just think, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just here, and, you know, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm living in this house because, and you have your solution or reason for all of that, and you don't take into consideration the fact that the God of the universe has planned out and knows what's going on way ahead of you, 
that he could have pulled some strings and you're ending up where you are because he has a, a purpose, then you're missing out. You're missing out on being used by God in mighty ways, and I think missing out on the joy of seeing what God can do in a neighborhood. Because this, is, I, I've seen this happen. I've seen praying through the neighborhood, a neighborhood, several neighborhoods where there have been some major problems going on. Drug addiction, prostitution, those kinds of, we lived in some pretty rough places, me and Cal, at times. And um, we saw, as we took boundaries, we took those boundaries, this is our land, that kind of stuff's not going to, going to rule in our neighborhood. And we took stand in Jesus' name, using the power of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit, and the power of prayer. We saw those neighborhoods change. I mean, we saw them change. And I'm telling you, God can do that in your neighborhood too. He can do that in your workplace too. Some of you are under, I, in fact, I've talked with, with uh, several people in our church that they're right now facing a lot of persecution for their Christianity. And uh, we just, um, we were ha- having conversation with our family. A friend of ours, Christian girl, works at, um, is, was, was a nurse and worked under some real persecution from the, the, their uh, superiors, who were more not only atheists, they were anti-Christian because of their personal choices and lifestyle. And uh, they have been persecuting her for a long time. Well, they're gone, and she's the, in charge now. And let me tell you, you have an authority, and you have to learn how to use it because God has given you boundaries in which you are to take ground. You're to do things. In that, we, we'll see that more in just a second. But <clears throat> it's not just for people, by the way. It's for nations, too. God has determined the extent of our nation, America. How long will, be, will we be a superpower? How long will we be the nation that is the most prosperous? How long will we be around? God's in charge of that. The, the scripture says in Psalms twenty two twenty eight it says for the kingdom, for the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nations. He's in charge. Psalms thirty three ten says the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, and He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. They might have a plan, our leaders might have a plan, but God's in charge. And he will determine those things. He has always determined, and, uh, and, and so forth. So as we look down, in fact, from this point on all the way to verse 13, um, there's a list of the different, the, the shorelines, the, 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 the length and breadth of the different places, the families that have been given land and where they're going to be, and you don't want me to read all of that. But you might want to do that on your own. But in verse 13, we get an insight to this guy that keeps showing up. He showed up in chapter 14. He's been there several times. Um, and that's, the, that's Caleb. It says in verse 13, Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave, to, gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandments of the Lord of to Joshua, namely, Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, 
uh, Arba was the father of Anak. Now, he showed up in chapter 14. And in chapter 14, he, um, he shows up because he was one of the two spies that came back with a good report. He's, him and, and, um, and Joshua are the oldest guys in Israel. Everybody else has died. All the, all the others have died. So he's, um, he's at least minimum 20 years or 25 years older than the, 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 next, uh, the next oldest person. He's, the, these two guys... Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones with a good report, and God preserved them. And Caleb comes along and says, God has promised me land, and I want to take it. And he doesn't say, give it to me, you know, go to war, give me the land. He says, I'm still as strong now at 85 years old as I was when I was 40. Give me the land, let me take it, and, uh, and I'll, you know, I'm going to defeat these guys. And he chooses the most difficult warriors that you can choose in all Israel. Of all the wars they fought, the, the Anakites uh, were, the, were the, the strongest. They were the giants that were seen by the, the um, spies originally and said, we can't take this land. There's giants in the land. These were big dudes. Now, we, you know, that they... They had the, I don't know, they had the genetic makeup, and they all, you know, they were, you know, they were Shaq plus. They were huge human beings. And uh, he says, let's take them. I want to take them. And so, it says in verse 14, that Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Telemai of the children of Anak. So, he drove them out. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber, formerly, formerly the name of Deber was Kirjasefer, and Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjasefer and, and takes it, to him I will give Asha, my daughter, as wife. So he's already taken the main part, and he's thinking, you know what, I need to, I'm 85 years old, I need to think this over. Maybe and he goes. Um, he goes. My wa- my daughter needs a husband. Now, you know, I never. M- none of my daughters got to that place where I felt that was. I always thought they have plenty of time they don't need. But she's probably up there um, at this point, and and he's going. My daughter needs a husband. And in those days, you didn't, you didn't just date and go pick your husband. Your family arranged your spouse, husband, wife. They, your, your family arranged that. And I know that when my kids were growing up and making choices, I thought that I would do better than them anyhow. So they did pretty good. But the point is, um, we, he is now... And, and if you just kind of read that with kind of a, a negative view of things that way, you'll think, you know, he just wants somebody to take the land. He's giving his daughter away. Whoever's going to conquer the land for him, he's going to give his daughter away. And that's not what's going on at all. You know what it takes to conquer the land with soldiers and armies that are more formidable than you? Faith. Faith. 
You, you don't just go conquer that land because you got, you know, you, you're, you're strong and powerful and you're a good fighter. The only way you conquer that land is because you have faith. And I believe Caleb was looking for the right spouse for his daughter. A man of faith. And I'll show you. He, he actually did a good job in making that. And, and can we stop there for a second? Parents, if you can, the best thing, one of the best things you can train your children to do, first of all, is to follow you as you follow Christ wholeheartedly. And I, I'll say that again. See, Caleb is known for, it's repeated several times in the former chapter that Caleb served the Lord with all of his heart. He served the Lord wholeheartedly. That's why he was a man who had given an example to his daughter of a man who serves the Lord wholeheartedly. If you are a father who serves the Lord wholeheartedly, then or a mother that serves the Lord wholeheartedly, your children have a better chance of choosing someone who serves the Lord wholeheartedly. You, they have a much better chance that they're going to look for somebody that also is serving the Lord wholeheartedly. And as you are serving the Lord wholeheartedly, then you also can give great advice. And your advice will be to look for a spouse who serves the Lord wholeheartedly. And I'm, I'm oftentimes surprised that, that um, parents are just, and it's kind of, I, I think the, the bar is so low that parents are just looking for kind of a normal spouse for their kid, right? <laughs> And the bar's low. If, we, if I can get somebody that isn't, you know, a drug addict or an alcoholic and, and, uh, and can hold a job, I'm happy, you know. But it is, listen, it, to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, to find someone that serves the Lord. We look for the wrong things. Sometimes, you know, it's, it, it's looking for the good looking. And if you get good looking and, and godly, you're doing really good. But godly's better than good looking. Scripture says in Proverbs eleven twenty two, as a ring of gold in the swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Now, you understand, the woman is the swine with all the, you know, the ring in the nose is just the outward appearance. And that you, this, this is interchangeable. Men, women, it's interchangeable. You know, you've probably, you know people, you've probably come across people that they're really good looking at first, and then the more you get to know them, the uglier they get. They haven't changed physically. They're doing everything the same. But somehow they got uglier as you got to know them. You know, one of my favorite songs in the, in the 60s and 70s was um, I've been searching for a heart of gold. That's what I found. That's what I wanted. 
I got both. You understand the, the value of looking for what God is looking for. Okay, I've done enough on that one. So, Joshua 15, 17. So, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Asha, his daughter, as wife. So, Othniel's the guy that rises up and says, I'll do it. Now, it just so happens that Othniel, um, well, he's, he's um, Caleb's nephew, now, that can cause trouble, but let's move past that. Um, the, the thing about Othniel is he was a man of faith. And what we look at, and you go, well, how do you know that? Well, we, we actually have record of that in the book of Judges, the next book. Ver, verse, chapter 3 and verse 9, it says this. Now, remember, the book of Judges was there's no king. The people were doing you know, what they wanted in their own side, they were really getting messed up, and judges would rise up. These judges, or leaders, would rise up and set things straight. There'd be men, of, or women of God, and they would, you know, they would take and, and uh, take the, the, the bull by the horn kind of thing and, and lead the, the nation in the right direction. Look at what it says in verse nine. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who've delivered them. Everybody say his name. Othniel. Othniel. The son of Kenneth, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. Caleb did good. Picking, uh, you know, a husband for his daughter. He says, so... The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathai, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years. He brought peace to the land of Israel for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenes, died. And he went to be with the Lord. This was the man of faith. Let's go back over to chapter 15, verse 18. Now it was so, when she came to him, who's she? Well, that's his daughter. You look in the context. When she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father. So she gets married. She goes to Othniel, and she says, she persuades him to ask her father for a field says, okay, we conquered this land. Ask dad, ask my dad if we could have a field now. And so he does. So she, then it says, and it kind of jumps forward. So they have this field. He asked for the field. But now she goes to her father. She approaches him. It says, so she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you wish? He sees his daughter come. What, what, what is it? What, what do you want? And she answered, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. So he gave her uh, the upper springs and the lower springs. What is she doing? She's thinking about the future. She's wise. She knows that she, they, if they have, they're going to need in their future their own water source. They can't rely on dad forever. 
and she's asking for the water source for her family and her, and her children and her children's children because they will all own the land as generations go. Do you see? This is a woman of God. This is a Proverbs 31 woman. This is a woman that has learned from a godly man. And this is the point. Your entire family, don't, don't cut short. Your f- entire family can serve God. And some of you right now are, you know, you're in situations where you have family that, loved ones, you have children or parents that are far from God and distant from God. Can I just say to you, don't quit. Don't quit. If they're still in your household, sneak in their bedroom when they're asleep and lay hands on them. In Jesus' name, walk the hallways worshiping and praising God, commanding the work of darkness against them to leave, speaking truth into their heart and life, looking for opportunities as a Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. Don't quit. Battle. It's time to go to war. And don't quit battling until you get the victory. You understand? Don't quit. Sometimes we give up too easy. We're just, we, we're so used to quick. We want to put it, we want to put our, you know, our, our desires and our prayer requests in the microwave, push the button and want it to come out in a couple minutes. Some of this takes spiritual warfare. We're defeating the kingdom of darkness and we have to defeat them. We have to, we're working against, uh, you know, entire uh, systems that are, have impacted and deceived even those that we love. And we have to break through that in Jesus' name. And I just want you to, have, to raise your expectation. Sure, they have their own will and choice. But we have a God who's stubborn. And he will hound them. And I'm telling you, I know from experience, I know my God will hound them until they relent. And I want to encourage you to hound God, to hound them, and don't quit. Don't give up, folks. Don't give up. It's not over. It's not over. So, he, uh, he gives, gives her the springs, and, uh, and now the boundaries have been set for their life as they live out their life for Christ. Now, the scripture does say about Judah, not about Caleb's family particularly, but about Judah. And the last verse of this chapter, as it goes through now and lists more of those names, it says, as the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Now what happened, and I'm not going to go in detail, there's some great truths in the next week's study, but, but in this case, they found difficulty defeating the Judah, the tribe of Judah, defeating the Jebusites. But at some point, instead of just, when they got strong enough to defeat them, 
Because at, at that time they weren't able right then, but as they, they got to the place where they were strong enough to defeat them and drive them out of the land, instead of defeating them, they made them slaves in the land. Instead of defeating them, they made them slaves. In other words, they instead decided they were going to prosper by using their strength to prosper instead of obey God and do what God had asked them to do. And then the next generation, the Jebusites rose up and caused them problems and caused some of them to go into slavery. Folks, we must obey the Lord. Don't, when you're strong enough, you don't compromise. That's the time to take the enemy out completely, totally. You have a boundary right now. Can you imagine? Can you see it right now in, in your mind's eye, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your, your family? Some of us need to start marching around and taking ground and not give up because at some point you're going to be strong enough to kick the enemy out completely, completely. That's, what do. that's the way we operate in Jesus' name. It's a church that's on the offense, not a church that's on the defense. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, thank you. Lord, just some practical things that we can do and live out in our life. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to rise up and be the men and women that you've, Lord, called us to be. Some of us, this is very new to us. We don't even think in these terms. We're just happy that you saved us. Lord, you want more. You want us to be more than conquerors through you who love us. So, Lord, even for our own lives where we find and we live out victories one step at a time, and as we extend that to our neighborhoods and our workplaces and the place we live, and you extend that, Lord, to our nation, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, right now I want to pray for those who either watching online or those who are here in this facility that, you, that have not given their life to Jesus, today would be their day. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, the Bible says this is your day to give your life to Christ. Right now. You're not to wait. You never know what tomorrow holds. And if you can open your heart to Christ right now, this is the day of salvation. And you just simply ask God, say, God, say, God, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I ask Jesus for you to come into my life. And I thank you for dying for my sins and being buried and conquering death. So I surrender my heart to you. I also surrender my sin to you. Lord, I, there's nothing I can do to cleanse my own soul, but I ask you to cleanse me. Take away every sin from my life, from my heart, and help me to follow you. From now on, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together and worship the Lord? You stood before creation. 
you church we'll see you Wednesday night so I'll stand with a